Hello and welcome to Beards and Lavender. My name is Spencer Jenkins. Pronouns are he, him. Today, we don't have a brand new podcast for you. Uh, Sarah and I are taking a little break to focus on some other projects we have going on this week. But luckily for you and us, we have an old recording of me in June of 2021, I believe. Uh, It was Pride Month, clearly, because it's June. And Natalia Bishop, who is the founder and owner of Story Louisville, she interviewed me about my journey in creating Queer Kentucky. Uh, Essentially, it is my founder's story. And I talk about how I started Queer Kentucky, the struggles I went through, why I started Queer Kentucky. And it's, it's pretty good. So I'm excited for you all to listen to that. And it gives you some deep background on why we even started the Beards and Lavender podcast. Because without Queer Kentucky, it would not exist. I also want to remind everybody that November 20th is Trans Day of Remembrance. I know on the last podcast we said that we would be talking about that today, but obviously some forces outside of our control um, is not letting that happen. But Queer Kentucky is having a Trans Day of Remembrance celebration at Trouble Bar, which is in Shelby Park in Louisville, Kentucky. We will have drag artists, poetry, speeches, music, and of course, some drinks that will raise funds for Queer Kentucky. And Trans Day of Remembrance is so important for the LGBT community. I think all of us know that we would not be where we are today without our trans community members and the advocacy that they have led uh, during their lives. And um, I want to make note that there are probably a lot of people out here that listen to this that don't realize that three trans people, black trans people, have been murdered in Louisville within the past 15 to 20 years. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't know this, maybe because of our age, me being in my 30s or listeners being a lot younger. But I do want to say that we need to remember Nikki Williams, Timmy Joe, and Poppy Edwards. These are three black trans people who were killed in Louisville, Kentucky within the last 20 years. And we need to remember them say their names, and dedicate Trans Day of Remembrance to them as we celebrate those trans people who are still alive, fighting the good fight, and trying to get equality for us all. Girl, we have so many amazing drag queens in our region. We really do. And the best part is so many host drag brunches throughout Louisville and Southern Indiana. For example, the amazing and beautiful Aubrey J. She hosts Portenew Bistro's bi-weekly drag brunch. There's honestly no better combination than drag, food, some cocktails or mocktails, and making it rain on the queens. They have two showings every other Saturday at Board and You. The first starting at 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. and 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Get your tickets at boardandyoubistro.com backslash brunch. They sell out really fast, and you don't want to miss a menu curated by head chef Aaron Flanagan. The Beards and Lavender duo can't wait to see you at the most fun and entertaining drag brunch in Kentuckyana. See you there. Oh. Ta-da! 
<laughs> Good morning, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Story Morning here at Story Little. Yay! Um, and today I am I'm so freaking excited to actually be doing this with you. And before we do anything, we gotta put our banner off our special banner. Oh, what? Oh, we have a special banner for you. Oh, the rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> because it's Pride Month. Yeah, yeah. Is it? <laughs> but is it? <laughs> yes, we are so excited to be here this morning with none other than our amazing, beloved Spencer Jenkins with here in Kentucky. Um, but before we get into Story Morning, I want to thank our sponsors and amazing community partners. Um, Amplify Louisville for sponsoring this event and making it happen. If you're a founder, uh, if you are someone thinking about starting a company, please go check out oh, this way, AmplifyLouisville.com um, so that you can learn about all things. Um, they have a new mentor program, a new entrepreneur ever since program. Go check it out. But this morning, we're going to be here to get inspired and get pumped. So grab your coffee so Story Morning can start. You have your coffee or water. <laughs> and we're here to talk about you and hear about your story and what makes you unique and exciting. So um, welcome and thank you for doing this with me. Thanks for having me today. <laughs> okay. If you're not familiar with Story Mornings, if you're not familiar with Story Mornings. I was goes, about to go into my spiel. Yeah, it gets a little bit like this. It goes a little bit like this. We're just going to have a, a lot of fun and hang out and talk about your life, right? So uh, if you have questions uh, about Spencer's founder journey and you want to ask those questions throughout uh, the day here, um, make sure that you use your um, your chat box, and whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, uh, we'll hear, we'll, we'll see them here and we'll be able to ask those questions. And if you're in the audience here live, then please feel free to just, you know, tell us your thoughts. So. We're we gonna, also know each other really well. Yeah, so this is kind of yeah, <laughs> this is kind of different. I, I, I have so many friends. Can I just make fun of you the whole time? But let's start from the beginning. So, um, queer Kentucky for those of you who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about what it is? Yeah, so it is an LGBT nonprofit. We are an established five hundred one c three. Essentially, it's an LGBT publication. And then we also do diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings, specifically leaning into trans and non-binary education within the workplace. Yeah. Or just individuals and organizations that want to learn how to be more inclusive with their LGBT clients, employees, friends, just overall everything. And I, I, I over the last few years that I've known you, I've been watching you grow um, Queer Kentucky from just, you know, a social media company into like this amazing, amazing nonprofit that is actually impacting how we interact with each other and companies in the startup community, hopefully policy at some point. Um, and, and really just, yeah, excuse you, <laughs> uh, but, but I, I want to start from the beginning because yeah. you, you were the founder you know, a while ago, and that wasn't really your path, right? Right, no, entrepreneurship was not something I ever saw myself doing. And yeah. to an extent, I still don't see myself as like startup world mm -hmm. type person because I do run a nonprofit, even though it is a startup. 
I'm not looking for VCs. I'm not looking for scale. Well, I guess scalability in a different yep. way, but I'm not your typical story level member when it comes yep. to VC startup world. And I think it's important to talk about this is our very first time having a nonprofit founder on Story Morning. Uh, one of the reasons we I really wanted you to come on the on the um, on the show, we'll call it a show, was that oh, uh, <laughs> is because I I really I really when you think about it side by side, it's really not that different. Um, your challenges in the nonprofit world as an executive director or as a founder um, are very similar to those of people scaling companies. Uh, it's just the funding options are a little bit different. When you're selling a mission, yeah, you're not selling scalability you're not selling to i don't know like you're not selling to vcs i don't really know how else to put it um but i'm constantly selling lgbt culture to people that may not understand it so yeah. you're still having to pitch constantly yeah. i mean i'm considering this kind of a pitch to whoever yeah. actually sees it absolutely absolutely well let's start from the beginning so you're from louisville Yes. Well, Kentucky. <laughs> we always talk about that a lot because you're always like, you know, I've tried to leave so many times. <laughs> I know, I keep coming back. Um, yeah, I was raised in the east end of Louisville. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Anchorage, um, Middletown area. So I always kind of say, um, I'm just your spoiled little Anchorage kid. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit. As, uh, yeah, so the, there was no question there. I was just telling you, uh, you know, letting you talk about, you know, growing up. But as you were saying, you know, you, you grew up here in Louisville. Um, let's talk about your childhood. So when you were growing up, um, you have siblings, right? Yes. So are you a middle child? Baby. Oh, you're a babe. Of course you're a baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... You grew up in, in your household. Was there a lot of competition between you and your brother? Like, did you grow up sort of, how, how no. far apart are you guys? We're four years apart, okay. but we're so different in mm -hmm. our passions. He was sports, I was creative, mm -hmm. um, and we were just so different that it didn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And we were always supportive of each other, and we still are today. So competition was never a thing. But I do know that I am the favorite child, if you guys want to <laughs> So, I love it. Yeah. Hey, mom. Hey, no, mom. It's only the older we've gotten is when we've like gotten into the whole like favorite child type mm -hmm. thing. When we were kids, like it wasn't wasn't like a banter, but now it definitely is. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> so as the baby of the family, you grew up in this, you know, beautiful sort of Anchorage life. If you're not familiar with Anchorage, it's probably one of the nicest neighborhoods in our city. Um, and when you went to school, how was your experience there as a child? Well, I still went to public school. Mm -hmm. So when we moved to Anchorage, it was right after my parents' divorce. Mm -hmm. And we lived in Owl Creek, which was literally behind Anchorage. Mm -hmm. um, but then we moved to Anchorage, but I was already in Middletown Elementary. Mm -hmm. So my mom was like, we're not taking them out of school, mm -hmm. or both of them out of school and putting them in a new place. Like, they're just going to stay in public school. So I had a pretty average, normal upbringing when it came to school and family life. So did you, when you were growing up, so did you have any sort of inclination of starting your own thing? Like, were you like, hey, like, what was your, what was your experience like through high school, for example? Well, starting really young, I always wrote a okay. lot. I always had a journal. Um, I remember it was like a 
goosebump thing journal. <laughs> um, and I read a lot. I actually taught myself how to read. At least that's what my mom tells me. Mm. It made me feel special. I don't know. Because <laughs> you're the baby. <laughs> yeah, I am the baby. And then I kind of just stayed in creative type fields for a long time. And when I got to high school, I joined the newspaper staff as a sophomore. Okay. Uh, my brother had done newspaper um, and I kind of just followed in those footsteps because I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. He was a sports writer um, for the newspaper in high school. And I became just like a general feature writer. And then by my junior year, I was editor of the paper. And senior year, I stayed on as editor of the paper. And kind of ever since then, I'd fallen into this, I fell into this journalism trap. Mm-hmm. So at school, you're, you know, are, like, are you like a really good student or are you like your average? No, I was really good. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was a really good student. I got into a lot of trouble outside of school. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I never really got caught, <laughs> but I was kind of like your. We're experiencing technical difficulties. I'm listening from over here and it muted for. Oh, we're here. We're back I'm here. Sure. <laughs> Just for a I minute. wonder what was muted. <laughs> How you were dating the, know, the other gay guy. <laughs> Social media. Yeah. That's, because I mean, that's what you do. Like, yeah, there's no one else around. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think that experience of um, sort of stepping out into your own truth and you have to essentially reinvent yourself, right? Yeah. And in front of the people who have known you your entire life, your peers, your teachers, your family. How do you think that experience affected you as a as a founder, as a person that is now going to go? and do this thing and step in their truths and sell a mission. You become really resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of relying on yourself mm-hmm. for emotional support and um, relying on yourself to just really, there was a lot of like rallying all the time. Yeah. Like, I got to get up. I have to do this. I don't have a ton of support right now, but like I will get through it. Yep. And as a founder, it's the same shit. <laughs> it really you wake is. up every day and you're like, okay, going to be stressful today yeah. but like I've got it it's yeah. that same type of mentality that just kind of stuck with me and I'm lucky that I don't have to be as resilient now and I have so much support as a gay man from family and from the community as a whole in the startup world mm-hmm. too which took a minute but <laughs> they're very supportive now Drinks. Uh, but no, I, I, I agree. And I think that that's really cool that um, you're able to to see that and communicate that to others. It's like, hey, like there was there's a lot of road left, but we're we're making a little bit of, of changes there. Yeah, I think some of the best founders probably have some sort of trauma that yeah. created them or created this sense of resiliency in them yeah. to be able to keep going. I actually was uh, listening to a podcast about this the other day. It's like, if you look at some of the great founders, like there's some deep trauma or some really, I mean, intense things that have happened in their lives at some point that have shaped that, like, I'm going to keep believing in myself and keep going and keep going and keep going. But let's get back to your story. So you're in high school, mm-hmm. you, you're you in the newspaper, you're presumably making like lots of really good grades and like killing it and then you're like all right well it's time for college do you go straight to college or what was your what was your experience like then? yeah i went to wku mm-hmm. um at the time i don't know if keys money is still a thing in louisville jefferson county mm-hmm. but at the time i had so much keys money from good grades <laughs> um that 
I, I just stayed in state. Yeah. Uh, I kind of wanted to go out of state, but at the end of the day, I was like, my best friends are going to WKU. They have a great journalism program. I may as well just go there. Yeah. Um, and were you working anywhere at that point, or have you had a first job? We didn't. We oh yeah, that. my first job. Well, my dad was a contractor, so okay. I would help clean up trash for him <laughs> with my brother back in the day. So that was wow. great. Um, well, that 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 is that is honestly like my just, first job was dishwasher. Yeah. And you were a trash picker. Well, I mean, <laughs> I went to Barnes and Noble and went yeah. to the coffee shop for a There you go. So. But it kind of teaches you to do like the bottom of the barrel job and how important it is to get that done. Oh, and then working service industry too, being yeah. a, uh, a barista. Like, <laughs> you learn how to deal with the worst of people. Yeah, that's true. And how to like that, see customer service. <laughs> Which I'm still not great at. Someone rude comes up like, I can't handle you. <laughs> That's why you work for yourself yeah. now. There you go. Um, okay, awesome. So you go to WKU, you start in the journalism program. Yeah. And how was your experience there as a because um WKU is a little bit farther south, right? And it's yeah, a little southwest. bit how, how was that like being there and um, being out and all um, those things? It was interesting. Um I was kind of out. Mm-hmm. It's coming out is such a journey honestly like Mm -hmm. came out at 17 and when there was some issues just personally Mm -hmm. and kind of went back in the closet Mm -hmm. and so college was a weird experience Mm -hmm. pretty much the whole time um I did well got good grades worked for the newspaper um was an editor for the newspaper uh was a police reporter for the Herald. You wear a police report yeah, for the Herald. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not know it. Well, the interesting thing was I was very heavy into a lot of narcotics at the time mm-hmm. as well because I had closeted myself again. Mm-hmm. And that was just kind of how I coped with it. Mm-hmm. A lot of, um, like dealing with the pain that way. Yeah, yeah. So the ironic thing was I was a police reporter. <laughs> uh, just like being under the influence of narcotics all the time. Wow. So that's kind of something I joke about with people now is like I was a police reporter in college and then out of college I was also a police reporter and I was still high all the time so it was that that's kind of my college experience yeah Um, I had fun like I don't want it to make it sound like I was a mess the entire time I mean I was a mess the entire time (laughs) but (laughs) I made a lot of good friends Um, yeah like I was just at a wedding that was here at story two weeks ago one week ago I got to see everyone from college again. So it was it was a good time. That's, that's, but that's it was also cool. a very blurry time. And I think your 20s are just not fun in general um, because you're just figuring out so much. And all of that started as soon as I got to WKU. Yeah. So you're in there and you have this experience. You're still excelling. So you're managing oh, yeah. to have this life outside of, you know, narcotics and use of, of drugs. And you were sort of keeping that on the as a sidecar, but you're excelling in all, all the areas. You have a job, you're a reporter, you have good grades. And in a weird way, this is teaching you how to like really multitask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it does. It teaches well, it also teaches you how to like manipulate and yep. all kinds of all kinds of negative attributes that yep. can be turned into good. Yeah. Um, when it comes to selling, yep. like selling an idea. It's the same thing, but it's a more positive way 
of using that skill. Yeah. So you keep going through your professional graduate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you keep going through your professional life. And at some point you God. say, like, I'm I'm done with this. You're like, I'm I don't want to do this anymore. So yeah, so I moved to Clarksville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. right after college, and that was awful. <laughs> um, that I worked for a newspaper there mm-hmm. and I was just homesick. Mm-hmm. I hated it. I didn't have any friends. If you don't go to Austin P and if you're not in the military, there's nothing to do in Clarks. Wow. Um, so I was actually fired from that job. <laughs> um, like my 90 day probation period. Like, nope. They were like, they let me go like 30 days in. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's fine. Like I'm clearly not excelling here anyway. Um, so I went back home and then started interviewing other newspapers and landed in Bardstown, Kentucky, which was cool because I was close to home, um, literally 30, 45 minutes away. But that was when my drug usage was at its highest. Mm-hmm. And I was still kind of dealing with a lot of internal homophobia and just kind of grappling with all of that. Um, and eventually I left. Um, that newspaper, and I was like, I just can't do journalism right now. I need to be somewhere where I'm doing mindless work yeah. and just kind of exist. So, so hold, went, hold on a second okay. before we keep going. Because you're going so fast, but I think that... There's so much to talk there, there, is, there is a piece here because, you know, you, you have this... I'm, I'm assuming you had a dream of like, hey, I'm going to pursue journalism. Or oh, no. what, what called you to it? Because your entire road is like, I'm going to go and do this thing. And you're doing it and you're really good at it. I didn't really have a dream, though. Then, like, then, it was just what I did. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was good at it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to find anything else. Mm-hmm. Because that required work. Mm-hmm. And I, so I was not a hard worker. Well, you just sort of... Like you had apathy towards it. Yeah. Like, this is something I can get paid doing and yes. I'm good at it. And I'm just going to keep going this way. Kind of. Okay. Interesting. So you're not really finding your passion or your fuel from this. You're just like, this is okay. Yeah, not really. Like I knew I liked storytelling, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I got tired of writing about crime and, you know, mm-hmm. people dying in car wrecks and shit. Yeah. Like, that's not <laughs> yeah. When it gets old, you're literally oh. an ambulance chaser. Yeah. And, I would have to call people's parents and be like, oh, can I get a quote on your son that was just murdered? Oh, yeah. That's like, tough. no. Yeah. I got old after a few years. Yeah. And also, like, I would cope with that stuff by taking substances and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it was just not healthy overall. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just got tired of writing about things that I didn't see myself in. Yep. Call it selfish, whatever, but like, I wanted to write about things that I liked. Yeah. Well, and that I'm, kind of plants the seed for queer Kentucky. Kentucky. Of course. And so you have this skill that you've developed, you know, through college and through school and through like your life experience. And you're like, I, I right now I just can't. There's there's so much going on internally. There's so much externally happening. And you were like, I have to step away from journalism. Yeah. And do something. Was that really how difficult was that to, Not, to make the decision? That's awesome. When I like decide that I need to do something for myself, it's, I don't look back. How was your family in this situation? Because, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, be more specific with your question. Well, I mean, were they like supportive and saying, hey, yeah. you were like, hey, I'm going to change my career completely. I'm going to just switch my path. 
which is something that I think a lot of founders struggle with, which is like, hey, I have a stable paying career and I'm going to switch train tracks completely and go into something else. Right. You're not you're not quite at the founder stage yet, but you're going into something different. How are they about that? Well, like, there's still a missing part, like mm-hmm. before career in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So essentially, I called my mom when I was in Barstown. I was like, come get me. I'm all kinds of messed up. I need help. And so she came and got me. Did, did, they, did she know about uh, I your narcotics use before yeah. that? Okay. No, 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 she had an idea. Because, okay. I mean, you get to a point where it's like, he's falling asleep at dinner. So she came and got me. And, you know, we kind of, like, let's sober your ass up. Mm-hmm. Like, make you, well, you'll dry out at home. We'll figure out what to do next, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And then I just got a job at UPS, like every good Louisvillian. Me too. Yeah. We all <laughs> and, and honorary Louisvillian. <laughs> yeah. Like we just, we wind up at UPS sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but it was post-college. Like I wasn't doing it for. <laughs> for college. Yeah. Tuition. I was doing it for college. But tuition. it was the best thing I did for myself. Like I had, I became an admin and mm-hmm. I don't want to call it mindless work mm-hmm. because it is good work. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I needed to just key in shit Mm -hmm. and, like, just kind of exist that way. But I was there for three years, and I learned a lot of skills, um, like how to work with people that are very different than you. Um, I didn't grow up in, like, Bullitt County area, Mm -hmm. and there's a ton of Bullitt County people that work there. Um, I made some really good friends, and UPS... It was, yeah, the best thing. It really grounded me in the stage that I was in in my life. Yeah. Were you, like, in the first shift or third shift? So I was third shift <laughs> for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, two years in, I got um, second. No, first shift. Yeah, so you're yeah. so you're doing this work that is, is soothing, right? In right. A way because you're, it's you know, word. yeah, it is. It is. It's like you're doing it. It's steady. It's a rock star kind of a job. And then what changes in you that you're like, okay, it's time for something new. And at this time, are you sober? Are you sobering up or are you still kind of, you I'm know, working through it. Yeah, you're working through your things. It's okay. It's better. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was better at that time, but not great. That's for sure. Um, what did happen? <laughs> I started writing for Louisville.com. What made um, what made you pick it up again? Like out of curiosity. It's just being in Louisville. Okay. And um just kind of seeing what was going on in the city. It was around 2013, 2014, and I was getting older and I was pretty much gonna set roots down here. So mm-hmm. it was like I got more involved with the city. I started going to like the gay bars and whatnot mm-hmm. and learning about the community. And so I pitched to the editor of Louisville.com at the time. I was like, hey, there's no LGBT beat writer for this publication. Like, can I do that? And essentially she was just like, yeah, sure. So wait, you were like, I'm seeing a hole in the market. Yeah. I think there's an audience for you here. Let me be that voice. Yeah. Wow. So she was cool. Her name was Elizabeth Myers. Um, I, I don't know if people remember her or not. She was very involved for a long time. Um, but she kind of just let me do my thing, which mm-hmm. was really awesome. And at the time, Louisville.com worked as like a weird blog. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how to explain it. It was like part of Louisville magazine, but like not really. So um, you got to self-publish. Mm. Um, so I would write about different events that were going on in town. And that was kind of how I started to create a name for myself here. Yeah. 
Um, was I the best writer at the time? No, because I was still dealing with a lot of shit. Um, but I think starting to write about LGBT community here when I was 23, 24 was when I really started to deal with all those like self-hatred with inner homophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're now using your writing superpower to sort of highlight issues within the LGBTQ community, which you've been mm-hmm. a part of, but you haven't dealt with those issues yourself. So you're dealing with this as you're telling the stories of people. And is that kind of how it works? Yeah. And like, I was also, I mean, I'm a shy person. So I use use journalism as a way to kind of get into these spaces without having to like, just show up as Mm -hmm. who I was. Mm -hmm. Because if you're there to write about someone, it's just easier to be like, hey, this is a professional type experience and that's kind of how I've met a lot of those people yeah so after you're doing this for global.com um and you're still at UPS what's next for you I was also teaching spin classes at the time I was doing like actually, a thousand things I think this is an important piece yeah. to address because um and you and I I've, I've known you for a long time enough that you've always not been necessarily about the money it's like, right. what is, what fits my life and what do I want to do? And so why spinning? I don't know. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I went to um, Washington, D.C. once to visit my friend there who I grew up with here. And I was like, God, I just want to live here because it is so gay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she was like, Spencer, people, I tell a story all the time, and I think you probably heard it. Mm-hmm. She was like, Spencer, people like you keep leaving Louisville. It's never going to change. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, shit. You're right. Yeah, you are right. <laughs> so um, when I was in D.C., though, she introduced me to Soul Cycle, which we will get back to, actually. And um, then I just kind of got hooked on that and then tried to find spinning in Louisville. And then, like, the addict that I am, I was like, I need to teach spin, too. <laughs> so, like, I just kept, I don't know. Adding, adding yeah, I just, like, like I do now, I just keep adding things. <laughs> awesome. So you're doing all these things, but then you leave UPS. Yes. Right. So what are you, what are you going to next? Passport health plan. How do you change from, you know, admin work at, at this, um, you know, corporation as one of our biggest corporations to like, Hey, I'm going to go into healthcare. Um, nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> I love you uh, so much. Well, I mean, I got the job, like, yeah. myself, but yeah. I got the interview because of just yeah. connections <laughs> I had with <laughs> <the> family. <laughs> um, and so I started working for Passport. I was just ready to start doing more professional. Mm-hmm. I hate saying that because UPS is a good job. How, how old were you, do you think? Oh, shit. Early 24? Yeah. I was 25 when I started Passport. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. So... You're more thinking career at this point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I came on as their marketing coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you're um, just going around picking up all these amazing skills. Yeah. And I tell people all the time that like um, Passport really taught me how to build a brand. Mm-hmm. My marketing director, and it was Eric Call at the time, and then mm-hmm. um, Jill Bell. Mm-hmm. who was the VP of marketing and PR and all that, watching them and just even as like the peon marketing coordinator, <laughs> I learned so much just from being around them and watching them 
sell sponsorships or buy sponsorships and um, marketing strategy and how to make a logo work, what people like, what people don't like. And I just was a sponge. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So you're a passport, you're spinning. <laughs> yeah. And well, I quit spinning or teaching spin when I got to passport though, because okay. it was nine to five, 40 hours a like day. A, like a full plate. Right? Yeah. And you're still writing. Still writing for other magazines, or are you just on you and off? Place? Okay, not much. Okay. Um, just because full time job will get you. Yeah, yeah, it will. <laughs> so then, when it was weird for me because I'm so used to doing ten thousand different things, and I'm mm -hmm. like, you have one job now. Was that like an adjustment for you, like in the in the way of like uh, you have all this mind share and you don't know what to do with it, or was it like? Um. What do you mean exactly? Like, like you know, when you're doing several hustles at the same time. You always, in a way, and, and I don't know if this is this way for you, but through therapy, I found out that this is also coping is a way of numbing. Um, and then you just have all this time to think about things. <laughs> so when I got to Passport, I eventually involved myself with like every other department. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I got kind of bored just doing what I was doing. So I was like, oh, let me see what community engagement is doing and learn how to interact with people that are looking for Medicaid or mm -hmm. let me see what the events uh, person is doing so that I can learn how to do events. I just, I kept myself busy in that way. I was doing everything but my job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's also a way to pick up skills and to grow um, your, your tool set, right. As yeah. you're, as you're going along. Okay. So your passport, what changes? And is this one? Is, this is when Queer Kentucky yeah. was born. So I'm at Passport, starting Queer Kentucky while on the clock. <laughs> so why? Why? What was the problem that you were like? Because I, I see when when you started uh, writing for Global.com, there was a clear problem. There's a hole in this publication. But what was like the thing where you're just like, there is an issue here in this community. How did Same that thing. Come? Mm -hmm. Um I think Modern Louisville had just folded, mm -hmm. which was the only kind of LGBT publication that was around at the time. Um, the Leo would write some stuff um, about LGBT stuff going on in the city. Courier sometimes would, but mainly politics. Mm -hmm. Chris Hartman and the Fairness Campaign, like that's what would be written about. Um, and I just kind of saw this, um, sorry, I'm popular. <laughs> it is Pride Month. It is, it is. It's like 9 o'clock, but people are like, okay, stop the cold. Um, pretty much. Um, so I saw this hole in Kentucky in general um, about how there's not many feature stories mm -hmm. on LGBT people. There's not many human interest stories about what's going on or like who this person is, what this person's doing. Like, Who's this leader in Appalachia making all of these big LGBT decisions and influences or influencing policy there? Mm -hmm. There just wasn't much of that. So I was like, I'm just going to run, run around my Polaroid camera, take pictures of people that are queer in Kentucky, and then write about them. Mm -hmm. um, I was kind of influenced by Humans of New York mm -hmm. and the brand Kentucky for Kentucky out of Lexington. Yep. And I was like, what if we just merge these two things together mm -hmm. and make it really gay and that's kind of how I was born. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, I didn't even realize writing for Louisville.com was kind of like the seed of all of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, it, and it starts while you're a passport. So you're sort of like nurturing. I was born there. 
and I was just <laughs> trying to find something to do. Uh, and it, but but it, it it's important to talk about that because I think a lot of people that have a passion project, this becomes your passion project and the thing you really care about and eventually mm-hmm. your career. But a lot of people that have a passion project and they have full-time jobs sometimes have that really hard like balancing of like, all right, I really want to do this full-time, but I got to pay the bills. Yeah. You know? So I took the leap and left Passport with like not really any... No plan? Nope. I remember a couple people were like, you have no idea what you're doing. I was like, it's fine. Um, I am very privileged to be able to do this, though, mm-hmm. so I always have to acknowledge that when I talk about my founder story. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that privilege, I was able to take a leap and be like, I have something to fall back on yep. if, yep. if I fuck up royally. Wait, were you were you scared? Were you scared? I mean, this is no. a big undertaking. Like, you're talking about... You're talking about a mostly... Um, you know, Louisville is, is, is a blip on the <laughs> on the larger state mm-hmm. of, you know, that that isn't necessarily as, you know, open and tolerant of LGBTQI culture. And you're saying, hey, I'm going to tackle this. Was it worrisome to you that this maybe wasn't going to work out? No. No? I don't know why. I just kind of kept going with my gut. It's one of the things, like, my mom always taught me. She was like, if your gut's telling you something, you need to follow it. So I did, and it was just a good decision. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a friend that let me come on and sell promotional items Mm -hmm. for him. Um, That's an LGBT company out of Lexington, Custom Logo Wear. Shout out. Well, I'm still doing that. Um, But I was very fortunate to be able to have that income while also starting Queer Kentucky. And the same with working for Story. I was doing 10 things again all at once. Um, And that's kind of how I still was able to have a life, pay rent and everything while getting this going. So when you first start and you, you pause, you know, you, you, you pause on your career, essentially, you're like, Hey, I've I've picked up all the skills. I know this thing. I'm going to really devote myself to my passion project. I still got to make money. So I'm hustling on the side, doing all these other things. You were able to find work that mm-hmm. allow you to do all the things at the same time. You did some remote work for custom loan work. You work here um, at Story. And then what was the process like on the creation of like, it's not just a social media company, but now right. like, let's get real about how we, you know, how we create this company uh, and then eventually you turn it into a nonprofit, mm-hmm. which was a fight we had. Because yeah. <laughs> all like, don't make it a nonprofit. Yeah. But um, let's talk about that decision making and why you chose to go that route. Um, I guess I had started as an LLC mm-hmm. in hopes that I would find lots of advertising. That did not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then realized quickly after it picked up, I mean, I posted the first Instagram posts and it like a thousand followers within a day. Mm-hmm. So um, I quickly realized that it was going to be a community driven organization. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, I need to get a board. I need to file for 501c3 status. Um, and that's just, it was, once again, it was just like a gut feeling like this is how it needs to be. Yeah. For one, it's accountability. I'm a white cisgender gay man from Anchorage mm-hmm. running a very queer organization. 
Um, and we tell a lot of black and brown stories, trans stories, and it's, I can't be the only one doing that because it doesn't make sense. Those mm-hmm. are my stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting the community involved was the next step. And then um, I, I just get bored and then start doing more stuff. Like um, instead of just doing the features and the Polaroids, I was like, well, we should probably go in depth more and start telling actual stories mm-hmm. of what's going on in the city. Um, when I started Queer Kentucky, Band Conversion Therapy Kentucky had just taken off. And I was working with, I just met Sarah Gardner from Nanny Goat Press, and she's a writer. And I was like, hey, can you start writing about this kind of journalistically? And that was, I think those were like our first stories that were journalistic. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of snowballed, and we kept writing that way. And we would find money, and then I would find a contract writer and be like, here's 50 bucks. Will you write the story? And it just kind of grew from there. Yeah. So at the beginning, you're getting this community together, mainly on Instagram and social, yeah. right? That's like really uh, involved with each other. And then you're telling stories. Then you graduate into, hey, let's start more in-depth things. How do we monetize this? And how do we do certain different things in order to bring revenue? But you're still kind of grant-seeking and doing all those things. Yeah. Well, that was also one of the other reasons to go nonprofit. It was like, it's hard to sell advertising for this because it is so small, but I know how to sell an idea mm-hmm. um, to someone to give grant money or mm-hmm. a donation. One of the things I really love about your organization and you, you touched on this earlier is like, you're saying, Hey, these are not my stories exclusively. Like some of them are, but some of right. them are not. And you have done this beautiful job of giving others a voice within your own privilege. Right. And saying, hey, like, let me hire this person that looks different than me, but has a story to tell and uh, let them do either a piece or, you know, some work. And that's not something that a lot of organizations do. And I really love about what you're doing. So I'm just going to tell you that that's the job. (laughs) It wouldn't be what it is without my team. You know what I mean? It just doesn't. I don't even know how to put it into words. Like they're not my stories. A lot of them aren't. So it just doesn't make sense for me to be writing about black issues in Kentucky. So it's like, let me find this $3,000 grant from just fun Kentucky that we just got. And let me contract a black trans person to write these stories or edit these stories or find these people to write the stories. It's just, it's not, it's just not my story to tell. Yeah. I think that it comes easy for you, but I think there's so much difficulty in letting go of the oh, I ego. I love delegating. I know you do. Here, there are some things I'm very precious about yeah. with queer Kentucky, but most of the time, I'm like, if you got an idea, run with it. Yeah. If there's, yeah, if there's someone that DMs me and like, hey, I want to write a call, and I always say yes. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a bit about how Queer Kentucky is evolving. How old are you yeah. now? We're in our fourth year. We yeah. started in 2018. Yeah. In the uh, uh, restaurant Morels, which is no longer around. But we're with Kendall Reagan, who's now Kaylin Flagg. She did yeah. all of our branding. Um, um, 
I don't know. But now now that you're like you're graduating <laughs> into different things, right? So like you started as a social media company and you go into a little bit more policy. And one of the things that you're doing now is trainings and yeah. actually putting action for larger companies and you know the city and others. So let's talk about why you chose to go there. It just happened organically. Like I feel like everything has kind of happened organically. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Adrian Silvernagel just through going to Heine Brothers all the time. He's the manager at Douglas Loop, and um, and I also think someone connected us too. I don't remember who, mm-hmm. but we did. I did a feature on Adrian, and then he identifies as a queer transgender man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somehow we just got to talking about how we still can't pinpoint like how we came up with the idea, <laughs> but we got to talking about how there's no trainings in town that we know of that teach people how to be more inclusive towards LGBT people um, leaning heavily into trans and non-binary because people get really confused mm-hmm. with a lot of stuff. Um, so I just looked at it and I was like, well, why don't, we just do a training. Yeah. Um, he had done some educating in the past with Heine Brothers. And I was like, well, let's just take that and create a full workshop mm-hmm. and try to sell it to people. Mm-hmm. And so we did. Um, we created this nice little PowerPoint <laughs> and um, he practiced giving the presentation. Oh, God, probably 40 times with me. <laughs> Uh, we had a lot of fun, and then we had a free event in November of 19 on the third floor of, floor of Story. I worked my ass off trying to get, like, who's who's of Louisville to show up. I mean, there was Mike Mays. There were people from Canopy. There uh-huh. were people from all kinds of organizations in town because I was just emailing the shit out of people. <laughs> so please show up. Like, we want to launch this. And it did really well. But then, of course, 2020 hit. Uh-huh. Um, we had done one workshop with Kentucky Performing Arts, mm-hmm. and then COVID hit, and it's like, oh, no more workshops. Yeah. So let's talk about resilience here, <laughs> because you have been working so hard to do this thing. Um, you're growing it. You're actually getting grant dollars, and there's revenue now. I don't know if we've gotten grant dollars yet at this point. Mm-hmm. It was more just me digging a financial hole in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there was. A- you were like you were like spinning to be able to pay for, which is which is interesting because I think again this is a founder journey. Like this mm-hmm. is what it takes. It takes getting in debt and it, well, it takes, yeah, it does. you know getting the side side hustle and going back around and doing it over and over. So it's mm-hmm. an really important piece I think to address. Every time I start struggling, I call Jesse from Custom Logo and be like. <laughs> Hey, you got some work? You're like, hey, Lauren, can I work for Story for a little bit? <laughs> you're like, I need a crowd. <laughs> and, and at this point, uh, we, we skipped over the part where you've been sober for a while now. Uh, I haven't done any narcotics since 2017. Yeah. So you, you've, you've gotten you, your passion, you're honing into this. You're putting your money, your sweat, your blood, your tears, your everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just as any other father does. And COVID hits, and where you, (laughs) I know I feel that too. But where you, um, how, what were you? How did you pivot? What did you guys do to kind of 
say, hey, like we're not going down. Like this is this is we're gonna keep going. And actually, you ended up having a pretty yeah. decent 2020. Yeah, we had a really good 2020 actually. Um, well, we were going to have Queer Kentucky Awards. Mm-hmm. We were. I was working with Ali Goldberg from Aristify mm-hmm. about or on um, creating a big award show for people. Um, we had like five or six people from around the state. We were going to honor. It was going to be a play. There was going to be all this stuff, and then we kind of just scrapped it. We yeah. didn't even pivot that because it was so soon into the pandemic, mm-hmm. and I was just like, I don't have the energy mm-hmm. to even like go about this. Um, so. We kind of just chilled mm-hmm. for a little bit because I didn't know what was going to go on. Um, Sarah Gardner and I would write different COVID-related stories, but that got exhausting really fast. <laughs> and it was, we took a big break period because yeah. I didn't know what to do with it. But then um, I had a grant writer, Lacey, mm-hmm. and they kind of sent me some grant opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which was the Tegan and Sarah Foundation. And they were like, you know, this would be a really good fit. Um, they could fund your trans-inclusive workshops. So essentially we got like $1,500. That's it. But I mean, sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. Um, $1,500 to record our uh, trans-inclusive workshop and be able to do it virtually with mm-hmm. people. Um, and that was kind of like the big pivot we took. Mm-hmm. And then once that happened, we realized like, oh, we can really kind of scale this workshop mm-hmm. and um, take it to other places. Mm-hmm. There's a tech founder in you. Yeah, <laughs> it's there as much as I like to deny it. It's, it's, still, it. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah. And I still play with ideas on how to scale more, but yep. maybe we'll get there someday. So you pivot into how do we do this virtually? And then you're also still obviously uh, very involved in the community. I will say yeah. that Queer Kentucky was one of the only ways I was getting the news yeah, during the pandemic. That's like, also a big part of how we grew. Um, so how many users? We have a little over eight thousand mm-hmm. Instagram followers now. I need that ten thousand to get that swipe up. up. <laughs> It's been four years. Go get in there and change your So that's when the advertising money comes in. So, yeah, um, everything. There's a lot that happened in 2020. There's COVID, and then Breonna Taylor um, was killed by police in Louisville, and the protests that ensued. um, We covered a lot, or the entire kind of summer unfolding. Uh, Kenyatta Bossman, who's a black queer artist in town, um, covered all of that. And really, Queer Kentucky owes so much to them with our growth from covering all of that. Um, Trying to think. Oh, and then because of everything that was going on, Adrian and I realized we had made like kind of a big oops with our trans-inclusive workshop we were like, we're not talking about intersectionality mm-hmm. whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So we reached out to uh, Serene Martin, who is a um, black queer black femme in town who had been involved with Queer Kentucky from the very beginning. They had written um, some very great pieces for Queer Kentucky in the beginning. They were one of my first writers, actually. Mm-hmm. 
So we reached out to them. We're like, hey, do you want to kind of help with this workshop and create some intersectionality in it? Um, paid gig. And they were down. Um, awesome. They were also a board member, too. So they've just always been involved, and I love them so much. Um, and that's when the workshop really took off mm-hmm. is because we had all the missing pieces mm-hmm. and everything was starting to really become this cohesive collaborative um, work- workshop Yeah, that was very easy to sell to organizations. No, I love that. And so you find this sustainable piece to keep this nonprofit going along with the grand piece and you're serving your community still by telling the stories and doing the work of highlighting the issues mm-hmm. that could and would affect policy. Yeah. I want to touch on one last thing specific to Queer Kentucky, but I think it's it's more you than Queer Kentucky. Oh, great. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is the fact that I think, and you and I have this conversation on our own, uh, but I think that um, it takes courage and it takes bravery to have some of these conversations outside of the public eye um, in a way that is... Um, with empathy and with care, but where you're educating and and, and it gets exhausting as well to be oh, the yeah. first only different person every single time. Um, and, and, you know, whether it's the startup community or other places, of course, you, you live in the startup community. So that's where you're having this, this moment. I always admire the fact that you go to people with kindness and respect you're relentless. You're relentless. Okay. I will <laughs> say that. You're relentless in your pursuit of equality. And, and, and that's, I think, what I admire most about you is that you're not going to let people slide, but you're also going to do it in a way that is uh, kind and, and respectful. And, um, and I think one of the things that I think works the best is um, building trust within your community that may not necessarily align specifically um, with your values sometimes, but really showing up and being like, listen, you're going to live because I am the act of defiance is you being you. Right. And Mm -hmm. having that hard conversation, how do you, because I know that gets exhausting for me as a person, how do you continue to show up? How do you fuel yourself to be in those tough spots over and over and over calling on people and saying, hey, let's have this coffee meeting and talk about how you're, you know, supporting this and this initiative right. that isn't good for the LGBTQI community, et cetera. Because I don't want someone else to have to deal with it later. You know, it's like, I would like to set this foundation in the community that is inclusive of LGBT people so that someone who's in high school right now doesn't have to fuck with it. And Five years, excuse me. No. <laughs> I mean, you know I mean, me, like this is normal <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Even today, it's like I hate being interviewed about stuff like this. I'm not a fan of just interviews in general or speaking in public. <laughs> and it's like, but I'm going to because someone out there needs to hear it. And I don't want someone to have to do this later yeah like eventually this shouldn't be a thing we even have to talk about yeah yeah eventually i should be out of job yeah like that is the goal here that is my goal too is to be out of my job yeah uh eventually i should be retired (laughs) so how do you think as a community um as you know 
as the entrepreneurs out there, as the corporate workers out there, as the startup leaders in the community out there, how do we um, become better about things? How do we get more informed? Like, what are the what are the things that we can do to be better allies and to not just like hang up the pride flag <laughs> on June and call yeah. it inclusive and and you know whatever? Yeah, um, listen. Mm-hmm. Listen's a big one. When your LGBT employees are coming to you, the ones that are brave enough to come to mm-hmm. you and tell you that there is an issue, mm-hmm. it's not coming. It's not just like pulling stuff out of their ass. Like mm-hmm. there is a real issue there. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like historically, so many people just don't listen to marginalized people. Yeah, uh, black, brown, queer. We just don't get listened to enough. Um, and there's so many ways to just self-educate. Um, if you can't afford a training of ours, um, Google is great. <laughs> if you don't know, yeah. If you don't know what cisgender means, Google it. Yeah. Um, if you don't know what transgender means or non-binary, it's all there. Like the internet's an awesome thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to call up your token gay friend and mm-hmm. say. Will you explain all of this to me? We also have a dictionary on our website, or glossary, not dictionary. Well, I guess it's like a queer dictionary. But <laughs> we have a glossary of all these terms. Like, you don't have to, like, call someone and ask. This should be your first product, the queer dictionary. Yeah. You can say it in front of There you go. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that wonderful insight. We're gonna, we have about two minutes left. So if anybody has a question here. Um, that you like to ask Spencer, now it's your time. We don't have any on the chat right now, I don't think. It doesn't look like it. But if not, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Eat donuts. And, and eat donuts and tell you that I love you and thank you for being here. Oh, it's super uncomfortable. <laughs> it is what it is. Thank you all for tuning in this morning. And we'll see you next month uh, with the next Startup Month. Or Story Month. Startup Month. <laughs> uh, thank you all. Bye. <laughs> Hello, Beards and Lavender listeners. I'm Sydney Hampton, a Louisville, Kentucky-based drag queen, horror hostess, and the host of Really Queer Podcast, where I discuss the queer themes, tropes, and characterizations, for better or worse, of some of our most beloved films, from masterpieces to cringy guilty pleasures. Join me and guests such as Gilda Wabbit, Eris Jolie, and Beard and Lavender's own Spencer Jenkins as we discuss queerness in film, from Chopping Mall to Drop Dead Gorgeous. Really Queer is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Find your platform by visiting anchor.fm forward slash really queer. That's R E E L Y queer. And now, back to Beards and Lavender.